Wow, this is so exciting, Tom. I can actually see you during this recording, which means that no longer do I have to wonder if you're engaged or whether you're actually just Googling stuff in the background. There's I'll no probably escaping. be doing that anyway, mate. Don't oh, worry really? about that. Well, that's going to be awkward yeah. now because no one else will see it, but I'll see it and, and I'll know. I'll be the one. How come my name on this recording software is saying Tom with the long schlong? Who put that in? Uh, to be perfectly honest, um, I'm, I'm guessing Mary signed you in. Um, <laughs> I thought this might have been, uh, you know, a little flow-on effect from our hiking trip, oh. which seems like so long ago now, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. My body's almost recovered. Oh, mine hasn't. Because we, we haven't spoken since then. Well, we ha we've spoken, but we no, haven't. We, we haven't. Of, course we, of course we haven't spoken since then, mate. It's surprising that we're still talking. Yeah. Well, because, you know, <laughs> we, we were saying how excited and proud we were at the end of that trip on that car ride home. But what most people don't know is that I spent that entire night almost throwing up from all orifices. I was so sick. I lost three <laughs> kilograms that week. And um, I was in a very sorry state. Laura's got I a photo of me on the couch, nearly dead. Yeah. It, it's not, I reckon, we, uh, Mary and I were chatting about it. We have a theory. I don't think it was the pub food that night. Nah. Because I was perfectly okay. I just don't think your body likes that crap food that we digested. Oh, I, you know what I reckon it was? I worked out that I ate a roughly half the amount of calories I was supposed to eat each day. Oh, considering now, what now we were you're doing, frozen. and so um, I think Sorry, when I you just froze the armor in 25 seconds flat. My body was just like, "That is not staying in here." Right. Yeah. Okay. Get out. Okay. <laughs> out. Out. Get to the chopper. <laughs> it really was. It was one of those situations. But oh dear. how exciting! Because what that that feels like an eon ago. But also, at the same time, like seriously, we've been we've actually both been doing a ton of stuff since then. It's Since then, our month. lives never stop. This is the just the the glamorous life that a professional photographer leads, which is generally doesn't happen at all. But we've been living the dream the past few weeks, so everyone would believe that this happens all the time to us. Yeah, that's it. And so what I'm trying to do now is space out the way that I talk about it, so that you know, in six <laughs> months' time, when I've had five months of just doing nothing, it uh, it still feels like I'm an adventure person. Yeah. People will still say, geez, Matt, are you still in Tonga? That's been like six months, man. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, and you go, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I just got back. Just just got back. I'm still going through my Basically why I haven't, I'm still uh, editing why I haven't my pictures. emailed you back yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but we should, we should say up front, because we've, we've sort of skipped the punchline a bit with our intro. Um, we, oh, yeah. we, today, we have had some very different experiences, everything from our snow hikes and reflection there through to, you know, you've been down to, you've been to Tassie, you've been to New Zealand, no, Flinders Island and New Zealand? No, you've been, anyway. I've been overseas. No, not New Zealand. <laughs> overseas, Tasmania. I've been, yeah, <laughs> everywhere, man. And today's top, and, <laughs> and you wanted to reflect on some of the things that we've learned as we've been out shooting the past few weeks, which is all about focus, is that right? Yeah, I feel a bit guilty if I can be totally honest. I feel like maybe I've given people a bum steer in the past with focusing advice. So I thought we could go through, because you're obviously doing a lot of landscape stuff and I've been doing a lot of wildlife stuff. I'm sure you've probably had your big lens strapped to your head as well, but the, um, <laughs> we, we, I think we should discuss maybe some of the, the nuances of, of focus because that's one of the most wildly misunderstood things and I saw something overseas on my Tongan adventures that made my heart cry. Oh dear, this is going to be quite depressing. Should we break out the uh, the beer and the wine now? No, it wasn't someone I know, so it doesn't really matter. But it was... <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, all right. No, well, it's, we um, it's interesting. So, yeah, but tell us, where have you been? 
Let's, shall we get a dive into, let's dive into today's topic. Should we have the intro first? Let's go. Play the intro. Go. They're a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Puck with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Oh, God forbid. That was terrible. That was We're out of great. practice. Yes. Oh, my God. Anyway. So, yes. You're looking, you're look, you've got a sun hat on. I've got you've my got, two times used sun hat. Thank you, you for the sponsorship for this podcast. You've got we a really, really appreciate that. A really impressive set of bags under your eyes and I'm, quite a bit of fluff around the chin. You've been adventuring. I, I, fluff around the chin. I have uh, a very wide beard this morning because I'm doing the right thing and I'm putting on sunscreen, uh, sunscreen as my kids used to call it, and looking after myself. Uh, it is a stunning day here in Melbourne. It started off, it must have been like brass monkey weather out your way, Matt, because here it was like less than five degrees. So out your way, it would have been even chillier, bro. To be honest, I had the heater on. I was making pancakes. and um, <laughs> he, he had no idea what temperature it was. <laughs> and he looked outside and he said, Jesus, it's a beautiful sunny day. And he still hasn't been outside and doesn't realise how cold it is. No. Well, and I have been outside now. It is pretty cold, but I've got to say, you're right, it's sunny. It feels a little bit like spring, which is a very is welcome change very after spring. the rude shock I got coming back home earlier this week. Oh, you poor thing. Matt was sending me like annoying updates, annoyingly regular updates from his trip uh, into the Pacific. I, I, and he's never done this before. And I was kind of like, oh, that's really nice. Matt's doing a lot of sharing. That's great. I don't think he was like sharing for any other reason just to rub it in and say, ha ha, look where I am. You're, you're um, there and I'm not, here. You know, Tom, But, you know, true. thanks anyway, mate. That's not true. Appreciate I just that. know that you are a I wildlife fanatic. I really thought you fanatic. were being generous. I am being generous. You're a wildlife fanatic. I know you love your wildlife photography. Um, I like to help transport you there. I know that you were hanging out you know, doing your own photography. So I did expect a bit of reciprocation, although all I got was some very drunken phone calls from you and a certain <laughs> other friend of mine, ours, who was, um, I don't know, it felt like there was nudity on the phone. That's what I, all I'm going to say is it was felt this? like there's a lot, of, a lot of male testosterone with nudity, but just to clarify, they were not in an inner city strip club. They were on a remote <laughs> island camping together. We were on a remote island. We weren't exactly camping. We are staying in a beautiful shack called the Cray Shack on Flinders Island. Big oh. shout out to Joe and Mick who um, who looked after us. It was amazing. If you're going to go to Flinders Island, you've got to stay at the Cray Shack, everybody. Google it. It sounds um, like a fast food There wasn't restaurant. any nudity. <laughs> there wasn't any nudity, although there was somebody in the party of three confessed that they'd never been for a nude swim before. And so that was on the cards, never happened because we had plenty of nudity in front of the house. <laughs> These people came down to the beach, you know, and just started stripping off. Um, perhaps they didn't realize that we were only meters away. With um, binoculars. You know. <laughs> Big long in lenses. The bushes, yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but um, yes, there was, there was uh, a bit of drunken frivolity there, but you know, we don't encourage people to drink excessively, of course, but um, no, can I, can I ask, the, um, what sort of demographic would, was, because I mean, Flinders Island is not really a party island, no. generally. So a no. bit of drunken nudity frolicking around on the beach. Um, what sort of demographic are these people that were just kind of hanging out? 
Oh, they were there was uh, uh, hanging out on the beach. Uh, they were they were they were quite old. No, older demographic, I should say. Well, yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh. Anyway, I didn't look too closely. I, I did the right thing. I turned away and left them to their to their privacy. This is this is feeling very but, awkward, Tom. What happened really? <laughs> well, you know, you know what happens on tour stays on tour. Stays you on know tour. the you know the story. Mm. Your photos from Tonga looked frigging incredible. It almost it almost made me want to put my Fuji GFX into some sexy underwater housing and take some photos myself. Mm. Well, Flinders Island is actually a really beautiful place to do that. Um, there is some. I'm not talking about Flinders Island. I'm talking about Tonga. Why do you keep putting it back on me? Well, I was just saying because you were in Flinders Island, you had the opportunity. Oh yeah, not 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 with no, not with my camera to do that. I wanted to be in Tonga mm. with my camera taking photographs with you because of all the gorgeous photos you were sending me. Oh, well that's nice. And I'm sorry that I, I flooded your um your DMs with um with those photos. I, I thought you'd genuinely enjoy them. Um but you're right, it was an amazing experience. There is something that is pretty crazy about being in the middle of a a pod of whales. Uh, they're about 15 metres long, about 40 tonne, and they do not know their own size. <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't quite got, um, what's it called, you know, the um, spatial awareness down no, pat, is that what you're saying? Definitely no spatial awareness. Okay. Um, no, they, that's not true. They, most of them are pretty good, but there's, there, are, um, there were some times when I think certainly we were probably closer than what we should be, but that wasn't really us. You know, there's this thing that they say, you're meant to be about five metres away which just for reference is about the length of its fin. So it's kind of like COVID distancing. That is not, that is not mm. far at all, is it? No, but the thing is five that meters. when you're a whale that big, if you flick your tail in one direction, you kind of move more than five meters very quickly. So as much as you go, yeah, as a photographer yes. back here, it only takes a whale to be like, hi. And it just, they just, honestly, they'll be like right in your face. Um, and it doesn't matter how hard you kick back. You, you, it's, it, it, you know, they, they're right there. So um, no, no contact, you know, you don't, you make sure you very much make sure you don't have any contact, but some of the photos and stuff, just because they're so right. inquisitive, you just, yeah, they're right up there. Although I'd probably- Did you ever feel like that. threatened? Did you ever feel like, <laughs> did you ever feel, oh my God, this is like feeling a bit awkward, dangerous out of your comfort zone, etc. Not really, because they're not dangerous animals, you know, they're the, they're the sort of animals that- um, No. They're just their size, but you're also in water. So, you know, the way I'd like to, I'd, I'd probably describe it is if you, if you imagine you're in the middle of like a herd of elephants, that's dangerous, right? Because on the surface, if you get smooshed by an elephant, <laughs> you're getting smooshed against something pretty hard. If you get hit by a whale, mm. yes, it's gonna be not great because they're very strong and they, they're quite hard. But um, if you got a direct hit to the head or something with a tail, yes, it's not gonna be great. But you can see the guides have obviously had these experiences before and they kind of have this like brace that they use over their head. So if you kind of got hit, you're gonna get a very sore arm, but it kind of dampens the impact and because you're in water, you'd kind of move with them, if that makes sense. So uh, to be honest, I didn't feel, didn't feel at risk at all. Um, you know, there were some pretty close calls uh, at, at some points. We've got, I'll, I'll, try, I'll ask permission for this and I'm pretty sure the answer will be yes, but. Um, one of the girls on the trip, Lauren, um, she's from the US, actually lives about an hour's drive from Yellowstone. And um, wow. she, uh, she was there and she had a GoPro, which did an amazing job with some video footage. And we had this one whale one day called Mental Mini. Well, we called her Mental Mini. 
and she was just thrashing about, charging into people, just not knowing her size at all. And so I've got a couple of videos with everyone there and I'll see if I can get permission to post it up in the group because it's um, it gives you a bit of an idea of, of what the experience is like. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Unreal. But no, it was amazing. Uh, tell Absolutely me, amazing. Um, so. And were they, were the other people with you, were they photographing as well? No, actually, I was the only, so we had the, we, we just a big shout out to Scott Portelli and, um, and Swimming with Gentle Giants. So I was over there with them. Um, they had a, a spare mm. spot and, and there's an opportunity maybe to run a, a, a trip or a workshop over there at some point. Um, mm. And that, so they've got a guide, like a, um, which is Grant Thompson. He's a great photographer as well. And Alex Kidd was there as well on the other boat. So they were, um, you know, they were guiding but had their cameras. Um, everyone else just had like a GoPro. So it, it was kind of cool because it's sometimes when you get in the water with six or five other people who've got cameras, it gets a bit sort of, you know, everyone wants to get, you know, in the, out of the shot and people out of the shot and it gets really difficult. Whereas this group that we had was really great. We all got along famously. Everyone was really courteous about, you know, making sure we watched out that we weren't getting in front of people. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. So now I had a really good group and it was really well managed. And not to mention our guide in the water, the Tongan guide was just crazy. Like he just, he could talk to the whales. It was, it was nuts. And tell me two other things. One, you were snorkeling, right, rather than scuba? Yeah, you don't scuba with the whales, no. Yeah, yeah. And two, what was the water temperature like? Was it like super warm? No, it wasn't super warm. It was probably mid-20s. Um, so you were like, you know, just boardies? And I was just boardies and arashi most of the time. Arashi. But it gets very cold when you're back on the boat. In, if the sun goes behind a cloud, it, the wind does get you. Um, most people got, not cold, but, you know, they were wearing wetsuits. Um, but yeah, mm. no, it wasn't wasn't super warm. How long were you in the water anything. for each time? It really depends. So the first day we, we spent probably six out of the seven. You can only go out for seven hours a day on the boat, right? They have very strict regulation on how long you can spend with whales um, so you don't disturb them. Um, yep. And they're really respectful about that. It's probably like the coolest part of it in a way is that, you know, you can only spend a certain amount of time with them and the guides actually look, go down, they look at the whales and they're like, ah, it's a mum and a calf, we'll go in the water. If they behave like this, we're leaving them alone. If they're really inquisitive, then we'll hang out with them. And, and they're very strict on that. You know, they don't push yep. limits. Yep. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you could be in the water at times. Like some of the encounters we had were like the full 90 minutes that you're allowed to have. Um, yep. And the baby, you know, would just come up and just muck around with you. And then other times you get in the water and the whales would kind of, you know, come up have a look at you and then just swim off. And then you get back on the boat and you move, you jump in the water, they look at you, you swim off. Um, yep. so, so really varied, but um, we had two kind of awesome encounters over the week. One of them was this mental mini baby whale that was just seriously out of control. Um, and the other one, we jumped in with three adults and that was like, they were just going ballistic. And that was where it felt, if anything, not dangerous, but you really had to watch because you'd be looking at one and then the other one would be like right behind you and they're moving quickly. Whoa. Um, yeah, I've got some awesome, it's kind of hard. I've got some photos that are like real action photos. They're yeah. maybe not the most artistic, but they show the action of like just how, you know, how crazy that situation was. And I think that, um, yeah, I'll post them up. But as I said, I've got to space it out. So it looks like I've been doing fun things for a long time. Is this the photo I'm seeing on your Instagram posted six days ago. Is that the photo you're referring to? There's uh, a photo of three whales there. Yeah, there would be one there. So they were, that's when they were just hanging out down the bottom. But I know that no one else can see this. Um, but to give you an idea, I'll, I'll just show Tom and you can hear his, his sort of reaction to it. But that kind yeah, of, well, uh, you know. That's amazing. You've got these three whales that are going really kind of ballistic. 
and like kicking up the bubbles and yeah, you know, really getting into it. So, but yeah, look, honestly, it's the sort of thing you don't have to be an underwater photographer, you don't have to be a diver, you don't have to have any qualifications. In fact, most people on our boat were just really curious and interested people who love the outdoors and love whales. They had a GoPro, um, yep. and yeah, just the opportunity to be there. It's, um, yeah. And you, uh, if you were like Mary and couldn't swim at all, could we chuck a life vest on her and throw her in the water? Hundred percent. The only and thing you've got to bubble around. The only thing I'd say is that that um, you know the days where the water was really calm, it was really easy and we had really great interactions. But mm. when it gets windy, which it does quite a bit over there, uh, it gets a little not wavy, but it can get pretty choppy. And if you're having to move with the whales, you're swimming into a lot of chop. And it can right. be really taxing. You can spend an hour like trying your hardest to kick in through the waves to keep yeah. up with things. So there are times where we had some of our group just go, hey, I'm out, like I, yeah. I can't keep up. And that's fine, like they had other interactions throughout the day. But um, yeah, you, you probably want to have a bit of fitness maybe. Um, you might luck out. We had a couple of days where we, you could just lie in the water and they just came to you. Wow. But then for the other days, you know, you are swimming around a bit. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You do, do it again, 100%. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, can I show you one thing? Can I show you one thing? Is that a yes? Show me, show me. Well, I can't show you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a listen of something. Oh. I think this would be pretty cool. Is this and, gonna um, come through? Are the, are the, are the avid listeners at home gonna be able to hear this too? Oh yeah, I hope so. Um, but we had the privilege, and it absolutely was a privilege, um, of. On our last day, the very last dive, or not dive, the last um, swim we did, um, we, it was pretty choppy water, but we found a singer. So these singers are lone males, and all they mm. do is hang in the water and sing really bloody loudly. Mm. But this song, whale song, is actually a universal whale song. There's a southern hemisphere universal whale song and a northern hemisphere one. And oh. so all the whales sing the same song, and each year there's really, apparently, really small variations that happen. So you can track the changes in this song that they sing. Yeah. Um, which is pretty amazing. Best part, you'll be on the surface in the boat and you can hear the whale singing on the boat. Isn't that amazing? Well, we had a similar experience at Wilson's Prom last year where we were standing on the cliffs above the lighthouse there oh. and you could hear the whale singing from, you know, 30, be, 40, 50 metres up. It was just incredible. That'd be a singer. And so when you get in the water, you imagine how loud that is. It's not just in your ears. You can feel the song through your chest. It's like every air cavity in your body vibrates. It's ridiculous. Mm. So anyway, I'm going to try and I'll just, just to, I'll see if I can do this, hold on. It's on on, but it's, um, How did you record yeah. that? Well, I just, I just, to be honest, I smashed the record button on my underwater housing, dropped my arm as low as I could into the water, and just tried to keep swimming up, well, like, keep up with it as it was moving. Um, and everyone was just, it was so, it was crazy. Um, and the cool so thing that's is you dive recorded through the housing into your, yeah, into your camera. Yeah. Wow, it's, you can imagine how loud it would have been. So loud. 
Um, but it's amazing. Wow. It was it, seriously. I'd, anyone who ever gets the opportunity to do it, I'd hundred percent just say, just do it. Like it I, that sounds like a Matt and Tom's excellent podcast. You know, trip of a lifetime. I think we need to be inviting you know five lucky people along next time. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. I'd there love to do that. I would. I wouldn't even need to take photos. Of course, I'd want to. But um, yeah, that would be an amazing experience. You sound like you had a fantastic time, and I was I just what scrolling about, through. What about your, you? Well, I was just throwing, scrolling through your Instagram feed, um, enjoying all of your many photos while you're talking, and then came across a very, shall we say, graphic image of your daughter being born that I'd never seen before. But that's yeah. probably for another. Uh, that is another yeah. podcast. Different, hey, um, different level me, of wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> me, uh, so since since we chatted last, uh, I ran a very successful workshop down at the Tarpine, which was the first time I'd been down that way. So we. Uh, we got to see the beautiful west coast of Tasmania, the rugged west coast. We had some stunning weather uh, for that um, and some beautiful sunsets. The colour and the light was just incredible off the charts. And then we uh, spent a couple more days sort of searching in through the rainforest area there, which was amazing. The, the um, Corinna uh, area, that township down to the very far south at the Pyman River, was stunning also, incredible rainforest and a great place to stay. So if anyone's ever in that area, definitely stay at Carina because that's um, just a beautiful part of the world in these very cute old miners' cabins, cottages. Yep. Um, uh, just a gr- I'd go back there and write a novel or, you know, lay out my next book or something <laughs> and just lock myself there for a week or two during the winter particularly because it's very quiet. Um, what what so sort that's of landscape? Place can, you, to go. can you describe sort of the sort of landscape? Oh. Is it like a ferny kind of rainforest? Yeah, beautiful stuff? lush rainforest with ferns mm. and moss and lichen everywhere. And then that's alongside of the Pyman River, which is quite a wide river and it's dead still and it's got all this beautiful, you know, lush rainforest surrounding it. So you get stunning reflections, etc., and and mist and, and what have you pouring through the mountains, etc. So it was it was quite amazing. In fact, I'm wanting to uh, walk that. Tasman, oh, that Tarkine coast from the Pyman River northwards because that's apparently the best part of it. So is that planning a trip there hopefully in November. Walk? Is that the most challenging difficult walk ever that you texted me this morning? <laughs> no, that, not that one. Oh. That's the South uh, South Cape track which uh, runs through the southwest wilderness area there which is um, which is a, quite challenging I hear. Quite a few people have told me about it already but uh, We'll save that for another day. Right. And now, so, other things in your world, you must be getting pretty amped up. Your uh, exhibition opening or your changeover oh, in the gallery is happening soon. Maddie, you know, we were supposed to have ordered the prints by now and they still yeah. haven't gone off. Today is the day. After I finish this podcast with you, I'm smashing out some orders. Um, they're, they're sort of ready to go, but uh, I've just been sort of procrastinating a bit. I've got to decide on what format they're going to be in. I kind of know the sizes, but whether they're going to be on metal or canvas or, mm. you know, acrylic, things like that. Do you need some whale photos to add to it? <laughs> I might need scene, it. Isn't it. I tell you where we're at. We've got about 12 to 15 that I'm pretty certain on. And then we've got another about eight that are sort of mm, hit and miss. And and every time I, I like something, I send it to Mary and she doesn't like it or she likes something that I don't. And so, yeah, it's trying to find that, that balance, I guess, between um, – what we think is fantastic versus what might sell versus what's going to look good in a cohesive group in the gallery, etc. So, and I've got a question. Mm. So, have you thought about this? And you know, by all means, you can have this idea. I'll, I'll give this one away. Um, but you know, like when people go to a restaurant and you know a pizza restaurant and and they don't agree with what they want, you can get a half half. 
<laughs> have you thought about offering a service where you get prints that are half half? So you, you know, one, you know, each, everyone's satisfied basically. This, this is wow. This is sounding like a, an unbelievable revelation. <laughs> I'm going to change the industry, Tom. I'm going to change the industry. <laughs> You're changing the industry one artwork at a time. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I feel a lot of pressure, to be honest. I feel a hell of a lot of pressure. I thought this is going to be far easier than it, it's uh, um, turning out to be. I just thought it'd be a matter of just going through and having a, a fantastic selection of photographs to choose from. And instead, uh, hold on a sec, I'm going to have to pause the recording. That's um, just, it's, it's right, that's the delivery guy. Just I'm delivering the pause, half, pause, half pause, pause. print. <laughs> I'll just keep going whilst Tom's there. Um, the exhibition, oh. I believe, opens on the 12th of October, I think it is, uh, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. I'm and back, so I'm back. It's not the delivery guy. I'm actually expecting a very important parcel to arrive today. Oh. Um, and I've got a... Is it the you, prints that you haven't ordered? <laughs> when you uh, order something, it's, it's through Amazon. Remember, they, um, they actually, if it's an expensive product, they actually require you to give a one-time mm. passcode. And I, which so I haven't received so you've obviously yet. Ordered another, um, you've obviously ordered another floating bird hide. Um, <laughs> is that? <laughs> no, that's sitting in the garage. Good. I, I actually. Where it belongs. Um, I actually was speaking to my good friend David Bettini last night, who's based in WA, exceptional uh, landscape and wildlife photographer, and he convinced me to upgrade my drone. Oh, so, the new so Mavic 3 Air? The Mavic 3 Pro I went for. Oh, that's yeah, the one I've with got. the th three lenses. And, oh, the new one, the new, new one. Oh, I'm not sure if it's new, 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 but uh, I, need, I need more megapixels and I also need a longer a longer um, battery life for mm. when I do do my hiking that I can not carry, you know, 10 batteries at once. So if anyone's after a Mavic 2 Pro, a very good Mavic 2 Pro with, with obviously five, an adequate battery life. Five spare batteries. Wow. Um, yeah, it's done me a great service. And to be honest, I really um, was holding off upgrading, but uh, I've now been convinced that uh, this is the way to go. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I took my Mavic Pro um, to mm. Tonga I and saw. I made a real effort to not use it because I just don't, you know, sometimes, you know my opinion on drones. Anyway, I, um, I did crack it out a few times because everyone on the boat agreed that actually it'd be kind of cool to see aerial, some aerial views. And mm. I will say, it, I did come back, come back and there's two purchases that are on my list now, um, which I never thought I would say because I'm not really into this um, stuff, but I am absolutely looking at like the high quality drone thing. Um, especially something that's a bit more lightweight because the new ones are even lighter and smaller. Mm. Uh, the other one, kind of say, GoPro. Yeah, right, for that sort of underwater the amount stuff. Of, the amount of Exceptional. stuff. Exceptional. Yeah, like yeah. This, everyone um, who I met over there who were photographers, they had their, and I used to do this, but like I just, you know, it's been a while since I've sort of been doing it really actively. Um, mm. Mounting a GoPro on the top or the bottom of your uh, dome port. And so you just mm. hit record when you get in the water and you've got all mm. the footage of the things you're shooting. And yeah. it was pretty incredible. And actually, the quality is amazing. So, yeah, the quality um, is incredible. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you mentioned the floating hide. There's, as I was researching the purchase of one and how to use it, etc., there were a few uh, Northern European um, photographers, American photographers, who, who attach GoPros to the, um, the, 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 the top of their, the lens hood. 
So mm. it's giving you the perspective of what they're seeing through the camera. Yeah, um, but ultra wide, so you, can, you can't see Ultra wide, and also <laughs> I think actually turning it backwards so that you're looking at the hide from the outside, so you're seeing what yeah. the bird sees. And they're splicing it all together and they're putting together these fantastic YouTube videos and, and they've got a GoPro inside the hide as well and they're talking to the GoPro inside the hide. Oh. You know, so they're giving a commentary as they're talking and then you're seeing what they're seeing through the outside, etc. And it's um it's very, uh, well, to me, it's quite entertaining. So yeah. now, I might have to uh, do that. We should probably start to think about our topic, Tom. Um, <laughs> we should. We're 28 minutes in. But we the should reasons, probably talk about our topic. Well, the reason that we were talking about focus today, right, I think is because... Firstly, we want to make sure we you know, stick to some photography tips. But one of the other things is that the amount of people I meet who firstly don't understand the focusing methods or, or whatnot, but then also don't understand some of the repercussions of not getting it right, it's amazing. And one of the things I got overseas actually was um, in Tonga, you're using a lot of burst mode. Can you seriously chew that any closer to your microphone? <laughs> um, That's so Tom salivating, salivating over the, the uh, bird hide videos on YouTube. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so using a lot of burst mode, but you know what a lot of people forget when you're in burst mode? If you're in the single focus, your first shot's in, in focus. But the others but aren't. When you're doing like five seconds plus of burst moding, nothing else is. It doesn't track. Nah, doesn't keep up does with tracking. It does not keep up with tracking or anything. And, I thought it would be interesting to sort of look at, you've got obviously, you know, you do a bit of wildlife and landscape, um, or landscape and wildlife. I do mostly wildlife and a little bit of landscape. Um, but how often do you do you muck around with your focusing modes, like the, the single continuous versus say manual, which I think is silly, uh, yep. as well as obviously things like your, your array of points? Yeah, it depends what I'm shooting. Um, I am conscious of whether or not I've got it on single versus continuous. Most of the time I have it on continuous so that wherever I point the, you know, the camera, it's going to focus. And I don't often move the, the point around. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm very much a believer of having it on that center point because um, from the literature I've read that that's the most sensitive to um, you know, a moving object in mm. terms of the crosshairs of the vertical versus horizontal autofocus. So as far as I know, that's the best one to use. Certainly um, certainly the, the edge the edge focus points never perform as well, even on a modern no, camera. No. Yeah. No. And so um, yeah, it's it certainly caught me out even just using my bloody, you know, um, landscape lens the other day, making sure that I was um, Making sure that I was uh, obviously shooting on the um, on the right mode, single versus continuous. To um, you know, as you said, making sure that when you point the camera at your subject, that it's actually going to be in focus. Yeah, and you know what? There's another there's another little safety that I've um, I implement in mine, and you, you get on most of these new cameras, you do get the uh, focus priority release on your shutter. So yep. it's like a setting you can put on your camera, and I'm not telling you, Tom. I'm trying to telling the audience. So I know you're looking oh, at me I'm like, sure oh, I'm sure I'm going to learn from you as well, man. <laughs> um, but it's it basically says what's the priority? Is the priority for you to for the camera to take a photo when you hit the shutter button, or is the priority for it to make sure it gets focused before it will allow you to take the shot? Right. And so that can be a really useful one sometimes as well when you when you're doing your focus is to make sure that rather than you know some cameras especially older cameras they might take a second to actually focus. Yep. And it won't let you take the shot unless it's actually got a focused image in front. Correct. Of it, which yep. is pretty cool. Yep. So where do we find that setting? It's generally in a menu option, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually under it's called like release priority I think on Nikon. 
Um, I do know that. I've seen yeah. that. Yeah. But it's a pretty cool one. But but that focus thing is really interesting because my advice and why I feel like I've given people a bit of a bum steer, I obviously run a wildlife workshop. Um, anyone who's interested, there's one coming up soon in a couple of weeks. Uh, in fact, anyone who's perhaps been on that workshop before, you actually need to go and hit Matt up for um, yeah, some, <laughs> to go semi again. Refund, yeah. <laughs> semi refund, yeah. Semi a free workshop because the shit that he's told you in the past has been absolute SHIT. Yeah, that's it. And therefore, you need to go along and actually learn what is the correct way of focusing because he's given you the bum steer up until now. Yeah, and moral of the story, don't wow. trust YouTube. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> moral no. of the story is these workshop leaders don't know what they're they're talking about and YouTube is a much better resource. Well, no, he, okay, so here's the thing, right? Here's a lesson that I've learned and I think it's a recent lesson and I need to change my mindset about this. So traditionally, cameras are really bad at continuous tracking focus. So this is where the camera continuously updates the focus, distance, mm. and point. And tracking means it's changing depending on where your subject is. So it doesn't yeah. just rely on the middle or the edge or whatever. It's, it, it tries to move around with your, with your subject. Go back five years, like pre-COVID, before mirrorless was like really, really prolific through all the brands. Mm. And there was virtually no cameras outside of the top range, like 1DXs and D850s and all that sort of stuff that could do focus tracking in any way that was kind of useful. I mean, even mm. the classic was that Olympus used to do focus tracking, right? But if you use focus tracking in burst mode, where it's particularly useful, it wouldn't do sing it wouldn't do continuous focus. It would just do single focus tracking. So you'd start bursting and the first shot was in focus, but the rest weren't. Mm. So they had all these weird quirks to them. But I tell you what, I shot burst mode a lot on this Tonga trip because you're in situations where things are moving very fast and the difference between one split second and the next is like the fin position could mm. entirely change the photo. Like we've got so many examples where it's I'm shooting at 30 frames a second as well. And between frames, you're like, there is a clear winner in this. Normally I'm kind of like, oh, you don't need that many, but this was a situation where it sort of worked. And I think birds are the same, you know? But I tell you what, I shot 5,800 photos in the space of six days. Mm. Um, a lot of it's in bursts, so they're not 5,600 situations. No. I reckon I've got about four shots that are out of focus. Right. The so what focus points were you using? Because obviously you had fins coming towards you and, and, yeah. and you know, that's a long distance away from the body of the whale and you might want to have the eye in focus more than anything else. So what camera setup did you have in order to ensure that you got everything in focus? Yeah, so the first part to this is you're on a wide angle lens. So your, your depth of field is much less worrisome than if you're on a telephoto lens, right? So Correct, yeah. You're also shooting about f8 because through a glass dome port underwater, you don't get sharp edges until you hit about f8. Right. And so that, are you shooting on aperture priority at f8? I'm actually shooting uh, shoot manual mode with automatic ISO. So I'm shooting yes. at one five hundredth of a second to make sure, even in a fast situation, the action is relatively frozen. Yeah. Um, f8, and you know what? Sometimes that meant that I was shooting at ISO four thousand for the whole day, and with ISO, the denoise and the quality cameras, it actually didn't make a difference. Like. What Ideally, camera are you yes, using again then? It's what a Sony camera? A1, so it is up the, it's up the top of the food chain. But right. It's, um, but even other people on the boat were shooting, um, you know, Grant was shooting with a 5D Mark IV, which is, you know, relatively speaking, an older technology. Older and camera. it was totally yeah. fine. Um, I saw other people on a D7500 and it was totally fine. So, um, but the thing with this is you, you're shooting in... Um, with the focus methods, with the mirrorless camera, I actually use the zone focus. So this is where you select like a section of your frame. Mm, mm. And it's a pretty broad section, it's not really specific. And the only reason I did that was because the surface of the water often has a lot more detail than the whale. 
And yep. so it would often latch on in tracking to the to the surface. To the surface, and therefore your whale would be out of focus. Yeah. So you so, want to tell it to avoid that. Yeah. So I'm just going, so, hey, only record, so, only search the bottom half of my frame. So when you're using zone focus, is that does that mean that the bottom half of the frame is like just a box, and therefore it's only going to focus yeah. in that box? It it's not, a, it's not a whole lot of points, is it? It's just no. a, a big large well, no, it, box that well, you've it, moved it down a, to the bottom. It is kind of a whole lot of points, but it's represented. But you're not as seeing a box. the points. No, you're no, not seeing, not the, seeing points. the points. No, and no, then no. so okay. it's also tracking. So when you half press, it then goes and tries to find something in that box, and then it puts a, a square around it, saying, "I'm tracking this thing within the box." Oh, so you're now using the AI technology that will mean that if it sees, say, an eye on the whale yep. that falls within that box, it's then going to move your little uh, focus point to stick yep. to that eye. Automatically select the eye. Although that said, most of the time it doesn't do an eye, but it will un it will it'll see in a shape. You know, I mean, the good thing with whales is that when they're big, dark objects in a big blue space, it's pretty obvious what it's the pretty obvious what on. your subject is. Yeah. But that said, um, shooting continuous burst mode with continuous focus and I can burst for you know two seconds and get 60 shots and it's nearly 100% hit rate and I think that traditionally I've always given the advice like I'll never trust continuous not continuous never trust tracking focus in cameras it's pretty rubbish they don't do a great job you know you need to have a top-end camera for this to work and rah, rah. but you know what I've really got to change that because I reckon that pretty much all the mirrorless cameras I've come across recently their focus tracking is like that's where the that's where the fight for the next technology and the next camera is now. You know, like yep. it used to be ISO performance, and now it's like who can do the best focus tracking. Yeah, it looks like they've all got the ISO performance leaked, and now we're as we're saying we're talking about focus and making sure that they're incorporating that AI technology in the best way possible for the cameras to outdo each other. For example, I was using um, an Olympus, just borrowed, not. Had a go at. You don't have to. You don't have to justify it. You An Olympus. It, you keep it. I did touch it. <laughs> I did touch it um, because uh, the other, the owner of that was perhaps using another device. So I grabbed his uh, his Olympus. Was he it was a droning. Leica? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, he was droning, <laughs> and uh, and I there was a seagull above us, so I grabbed his Olympus, uh, whatever it was, with that. Um, what is it that? The 150 to 300 or the... Uh, 100 to 400 or... A, oh, it'd be, yeah, it'd be a 40 to 150, The $13,000 camera, yeah. it goes up to 800 mil. And the, and the tracking on that was absolutely incredible. It just it, it moved the box, the little, the little focus box moved so fast to track that yeah. bird. And, and I was zoomed right in, so the bird was moving around a lot. It was actually quite jumpy in the frame. The electronic viewfinder probably needed to be slowed down a bit because yeah. it was very... Um, shall we say, staggered. Yeah, it's like the frame rates are too high almost. It was very hard to sort of mm. to, to track the bird, but then when you actually got it in the viewfinder, the autofocus just had no problems whatsoever. And these, there were these two immature white-bellied seagulls that were kind of jostling and playing around. They might have been brother and sister or brothers or sisters or whatever. And, um, and so they were moving quite erratically. Uh, but the focus was was better than anything I've seen from Canon, Nikon, Sony, what have you. It was it was yeah. outstanding. So and that's what their Olympus have got that pretty much nailed, I think. Yeah, and that's where their push is at the moment is really getting into that. Um, the the you know they're in the wildlife space and whatnot. They've got a few advantages there, but um, it's it's I find it really incredible the way these different focus things work, and I think. Technology is changing so much. Um, the one I wanted to ask you about, because I hear this a lot on my workshops, especially for landscapes and seascapes, a lot of people um, I find of they, and I don't think this ju is justified, to be honest, because I think autofocus is so great, why would you bother? But a lot of people use manual focus with focus peaking, 
which is where mm. you get that highlight of what's mm. in focus. And it sort of shows you, in a way, kind of sort of what shows you um, depth of field as well. But do you, do you ever use that? I don't find it you know, terribly it's, reliable. It's, it's interesting. Um, I'm struggling with focus at the moment as well. So something that I, I've probably alluded to already is that I've got that Fuji medium format mm. system with that wide angle lens. And what I'm trying to do is get very close to my subject in the foreground to have that feeling that you could reach out and touch it. So very much, you know, Dombrovska style of, of photography. So going for these big, bold foregrounds and Really, I should be focused stacking it, but I'm too freaking lazy. Yeah. So I'm hand holding at f16, which is making the edges of these frames quite soft because the lens is probably mm. designed more for an f8, f11. But I'm wanting to use f16 to give myself maximum depth of field. With that, I'm compromising on the softness of the lens or getting some soft edges, not shooting through the pure glass. And then I'm having to be critical about where I focus. You know, the hyperfocal focusing distance, which I always say to my my my, my guys that it's about one third up from the bottom of the frame, Which either vertically really, or horizontally. really depend you know, on what your frame entails. It is how though. you're framing it, of course, <laughs> you know. And and if you're, if say you're within a metre of your foreground subject interest and you're pointing the camera down so there's minimal sky, really you're focusing only probably a metre in front of you, mm. maybe a metre Which is surprising. Half. I think really surprising. And, but also... And you're really lenses, not getting a lot of focus too. No. So at the end of the day, when I'm zooming in on these frames, on these sh shots I'm taking, they look fabulous, you know, full screen, but then you zoom in at 100% and the background, you know, way off in the background is definitely out of focus, which I don't particularly yeah. mind, but by the same token, I, to be a purist, I should probably be shooting on F8, F11 and, and taking at least half a dozen frames and focus stacking the whole thing. But as well, I said, I find that using a tripod just, just stifles my creativity yeah. and, and is, you know, slows me down and it gets me frustrated and then, you know, I can't be bothered and, and I probably just need to take the time to be bothered. But th this, is, this is the sort of quandary I'm having at the moment in terms of where do I focus in order to get the best focus because I've certainly stuffed it up and, and had frames that, and photos that I thought were going to turn out really good but they're not. And I think that's a really tricky thing as well because you, you're right, you've got this camera that it's, its whole benefit, well not whole benefit, but one of the big benefits is it's a very high resolution camera mm. with very high resolution lenses. And so if you're using it in a way that's actually degrading the resolution, it's almost to be counterintuitive to be using that piece of kit. Yeah, well, either that or you know, you shoot it on F16, you get most of the focus right and then you crop the outside of the frame so that you're not getting those mm. soft edges which again yeah. is kind of defeating the purpose because I really love that wide angle lens. You know, it's, it's, six, it's a 20 to 35, which is equivalent of a 16 to sort of 28 or 30 or something like that, so. Yeah, there we go, there we go. Now, There's my dilemma. So, so what's the upshot of uh, what we're talking about here, Matt? At the end of the day, you said that you had a confession, but you also said that you had somebody, something happened to somebody well, the, the thing that happened was that the person, well, there's actually two things that happened. Oh, hold on, I've just disappeared. Uh, I can still hear you fine. That's all good, just, yeah, I just disappeared. You've just frozen, your video's frozen. Yeah, that's, that's okay, my whole computer's had a little fit, so that's all right, but um, mm. yeah, the, the, so the thing that happened was the person, one person actually, it was two things that happened. One of them was that they, um, they used the continuous burst mode with single shooting, and they were doing that for like an entire dive, so. They, they had all yeah, but that's only one dive. Where, At the end of the day, they've learnt their lessons. Oh, so that's it's pretty, pretty good one. And uh, the <laughs> other one, <laughs> the other one that um, that we've seen actually is not using that release. Um, you know, the focus release, uh, focus priority release, and 
And it probably doesn't work in manual focus anyway, but they put the camera in the housing and it, it hit the uh, manual focus switch <laughs> on the lens. Oh dear. And so you jump in the water and of course oh, you're not no. really concentrating too hard. No, like you you're got, so busy looking yeah. at everything else and then everything through the viewfinder yep. looks in focus and it's mm. not. And it's kind yeah. of probably close enough that it actually, you know, even if you didn't zoom, unless you zoom right in, you probably didn't see that it's out of focus, but once it's out of focus, it's out of focus. So, so. what are you best to do there? Just tape that switch no, before you, you just, put it in the you housing? Really, you, well, the best thing to do is to put, put your camera together before you get on the boat and, right. you know, check it, all the functionality, check your photo back, make sure, you know, to have that little checklist. It's probably no different to, if you're, if you're giving advice to someone who is, you know, a, a hobbyist landscape photographer who does a bit of something else as well, you have a bit of a checklist going, oh, today I'm doing landscapes, great. Have I, you know, make sure I'm shooting in RAW still, make sure I'm, you know, doing my, um, uh, you know, you've got single focus or continuous focus, whatever you focus and make sure you're on the right mode and that you've got your aperture set correctly. And, you know, you mm. just kind of get your camera set up. And mm. what happens sometimes on these trips is you actually get in the mindset of, and I did this a fair bit. I tried to pull my camera out of the housing and put my 200 to 600 lens on just to get some surface shots. And then all of a sudden it's like, get in the water. And you're like, crap, <laughs> you got to grab your yeah. camera. And, you know, that's where things go wrong. Um, I almost actually bought a second body before I went over there um, that was going to be, you know, uh, hopefully hold up um, quality wise. But in, in the end, um, I sort of thought, oh, you know what? I'm probably, you know, I can just swap it. It's fine. It's fine. And, and luckily we didn't have a lot of surface stuff happening anyway. So I probably didn't miss out on anything. You took your 200 to 600 then? Yeah, I took, took 200 to 600 and um, I took the drone and I took my... A1 in the housing um, with a 16 to 35. But I actually um, found that I couldn't pack all, with the weight limits um, on the planes. Mm. Like I couldn't actually pack as much as I wanted. So That's what I was surprised about. That's yeah. why I asked. I was like, oh, you probably would have been pretty close to your limit. Well, my hand luggage was about 12, 13 kilos. But um, the only time I got weighed was in Tonga and the lady behind the counter. And keep in mind, this is not much of an airport. This is more of like a, yes. a, a building that has no phone reception. Um, and she, no, it is. Like, I don't actually have phone reception in there. I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing. But she, um, she, she weighed it and she looked at me and she said, mm, what's in here? I said, oh, it's cameras and my laptop and lenses. And she looked at me and she goes, hmm. And then just nodded me off. Yes, <laughs> so, on your way, yeah, so on your way, sir. I think people are pretty, um, you know, won't, won't give it as hard advice. But I think, I think airlines are pretty good at having a bit of discretion when you've got things that you clearly just can't take out of your bag and stick somewhere else, you know. Um, then Did you ever think about? Like, do you ever think about um, taking a Pelican case and chucking all your camera gear in that? Yeah, I'd and actually, then not having to carry it on. I know you've probably got an extra bag that you have to pay for, but then. Well, the thing is, the problem with Tonga, out of all places, is that they're notoriously bad on the airlines. So, mm. um, you know, we my flight got cancelled on the way over, and so mm. I had got shipped off for a four and a, four and a half hour drive down the coast to stay overnight before getting back on a bus the next morning to get told that their flight's not running, but they've got to drive me to the airport anyway. Um, I'm like, it's a four and a half hour drive. <laughs> you know, mm. if they're going to turn me around again. And we were, I was with six other people I met at the airport and they were good fun. We had a great laugh. It reminded me of the, the, the first episode of White Lotus season three. We had like <laughs> the kookiest group of people. And, um, but yeah, it was a whole series of laughs. We got out of the airport. The, um, um, and, and so, yeah, basically with the bags, the issue is um, the Pelican cases weigh a fair bit. I've got a Pelican mm. light, um, which is a, the lightweight version. And even then it, it adds an extra kilo and a half, which I just didn't, couldn't afford. And um, if I take a second bag, I do get nervous that it's not gonna rock up. 
this is the thing. And I sort of go, for me, I took my camera and my 200 to 600, but I even had to check my housing in in my, re in my regular luggage. And I just yep. thought, thought, like, if this doesn't make it, I'll just turn around and go home. Like, there's no point. Right. This trip is designed in exclusively to be underwater or in the yep. water. Um, yep. And I was really lucky or everything went smoothly. But there were people on my flight, um, sorry, people on the flight after me, their bags didn't turn up. It took another three days for their bags to get there. Oh. So. Oh my god! And you're in Tonga. Like Tonga doesn't have like a shopping mall. It's not like if your bag doesn't turn. No, no, no. Basically, you've got what's on your back, and you can go to the. You know, there's a couple of little bars and restaurants and stuff. And there's not really any infrastructure in these places, so no, it's not good. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, I almost um, turned around at the airport in Fiji and just flew home after my flight was cancelled because the people we caught up with in the airport had been waiting. It was a Saturday, and they'd been waiting since Tuesday to get on a flight. So. Um, Oh, these are people who are coming on the same trip as you? No, not the same trip. These are just other punters. Um, oh. And so they, they had a seven-day trip planned. Um, and in the end, they flew over to Tonga on the Monday and had to fly back on the Tuesday because they'd spent the whole week in, you know, like just waiting in Fiji for a flight. Um, you know, these Pacific And it islands, never happened. Oh, well, they, they got there. They went there for one day uh, in the end. But the, the Pacific Islands are like that. You know, you've got these little airports of no facilities. They often have issues mm. with the trucks and refueling and... They're little planes and, you know, mm. um, it's, it, it's, it kind of adds I'm the I'm surprised you didn't take the private jet, Matt, to be honest, or was it not available, you know, that well, day? It's about the refueling when you get there. It's, uh, <laughs> although, can I say, so one of the girls I met on the, in this transit story um, is a very weird group of people. One of them was my age and he just bought a yacht to sail around the world in Tonga with no sailing experience. Uh, one oh, wow. of the other girls, he was a really cool bloke from Quebec, um, but then another girl that I met there, she only had a hand luggage bag, and I said, what's going on? And she said, oh, um, I'm meeting a boat. And I was like, oh, what do you mean meeting a boat? And it um, turns out that her, her and her husband own a 20-metre-long moat motorcat, and it's like this luxury yacht motorcat thing, and he'd, he'd just taken a couple of mates, they'd just um, driven it from New Zealand up to, um, to Tonga, and she was meeting them there. And, uh, wow. and that. So, so speak about the private jet. My second option to get home if my flight was cancelled was just to jump on board and head back to New Zealand. So, um, <laughs> yeah, look pretty plush. Just steal a boat <laughs> from one of the uh, boat harbours there and just, I reckon. you know, sail your way home. Yeah. Uh, I must say that uh, what has come to mind and that you, you mentioned during the talk was the focus peaking. And I'm, I must start, uh, I, I'm sure it's an option on, on this Fuji. I just don't know what. Oh, well it enough, definitely but is. I, I must put that on so that I can uh, see if that's going to help me with my uh, focusing issues as such and yeah. depth of field. But I think anyway. you've got to be a bit careful with focus peaking because sometimes you can change the sensitivity of it and sometimes yes. if you change the sensitivity too low, it doesn't actually give you a very accurate representation. Um, right. You change it to quite a high sensitivity, it gives you some real accurate focus points. But, you know, okay. I'm sure you'll work it out. Have a bit of a play. Take some photos of your toes on the couch and, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that I will. That I will. Hey, um, don't ever take your camera away on, a, on an important trip and, and rely on just one battery, leave your charger at home, and then realize that your $13,000 kit um, will only probably work for one out of those four days because I discovered that the batteries for the Z9, are, when they get down to less than 20%, just say, no, I'm not giving you that last 20%, you'd need to recharge oh, no. me. Can you so, charge it by USB-C or something? No, no, it's a very specific charger. That's crazy. And so, yeah, I just I just looked at my charger before I left on this latest trip and went, yeah, I won't need that. I'm probably not going to use oh, the camera much anyway. No. Um, well, I've that, got thirty percent battery left. Bike, that'll so. be that'll be fine. And of course, the, after day one, it stops working. 
even though I'm like, it's got 20% left, I'll probably get, you know, two or three more days out of that. I'm not going to use it all that much. You know, I'll turn it on, I'll turn it off. I'm, I'm, you know, it's a 100 to 400 mil lens. I'm here to shoot landscapes, right? No. Birds, wildlife everywhere, including the last day, the most incredible encounters with some striated parlotes and, um, and golden whistler, like birds that, you know, are quite common. But like I, could, I was walking up to them with my iPhone. They were that close. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, of course, that's going to just remind me of the fact that I was stupid and didn't bring my charger with me. Well, I went the opposite. So my camera can charge. You can put the batteries in it, plug it into USB-C, and it'll charge in the camera. Mm. Mm. Uh, but no, I decided, no, I'm going to go full into this because I thought I'd probably use a lot of burst mode. So I brought eight fully charged batteries plus my charger. And uh, I ended up Ooh. using one battery a day. And, but I kept charging each day. So I just, I just had a lot of dead what, weight batteries. <laughs> what do you need eight batteries for? Were you thinking you were going to chew through eight batteries in a whole day? Well, no, no, no. I was thinking like for a start, I thought, what if I accidentally left my charger at home? Right. And the other part to it was that I didn't think, I thought maybe there's possibly that I could use more than one battery because my camera can probably shoot about 800 frames off a battery. Yep. But sometimes if you're using all the focus tracking features and all that sort of junk, it can, you know, chew through a bit more. Um, I thought probably two batteries a day. And, you could uh, recharge your batteries at night, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but I, I, I didn't know what to really expect in terms of, you know, how, you know, sometimes you get blackouts on these islands and all sorts of mm. stuff. So, but anyway, I didn't need them at all. But uh, yeah, I do have eight batteries because I use a lot of, when I do bigger video jobs, that really smashes batteries. If anyone's interested, Matt's yeah. got eight uh, Sony A1 batteries to yeah. sell. They're actually know. just batteries that, that students have left behind in my car after a <laughs> workshop, so I just collect them. Do you only have one Sony body, by the way? No, no I've got two, but the other one's... Right. Um, it's, You've I, got I, one you, you favour. I'm super unimpressed with the other one, and I really want to get rid of it, and sell it. I want to buy a new, another A1, but I, I'm also a bit wary that I think the A1 Mark II is coming out shortly. So Right. Have I made the right decision getting the, uh, the Mavic 3 Pro then? for my high-resolution photos. I don't know. I'm not sure it's photos. a Mavic 3 Pro that I've got. I'm pretty sure it is, um, but there's a new one that came out this year and it's the same as a Mavic 3 Pro, but it's smaller. So it like yes, weighs I like saw that. two thirds and stuff. Um, but I, I saw that, but I think it's only got is. one lens. It's not quite the No, no, there's one that's got a dual lens, but anyway, it does, yeah, whatever. I don't know which one you've got, but to be honest. But you know, the problem is when I was researching it, it's so hard to sort of like decide which one, like yeah. it's like freaking hell. Like how many options are there? It's ridiculous. I think also with the options, the problem is, is that most drone stuff is based on video spec. And so, which is probably different to the set of features you'd use as a photography spec. Um, mm. But yeah, and, and to be honest, people talk about how far they can fly and fast and whatnot. It's like for, for, for you or my purpose, it's probably not the most important thing. I think actually um, the one thing I don't like about my current drone is that um, I've got uh, the two lenses, but the wide lens is really high quality Hasselblad and then the zoom lens on it is kind of average quality. And, the, you know, for photos, it's probably fine for Instagram, but it's pretty rubbish. So the zoomy lens. And I noticed that on this trip, actually, the zooming lens was kind of really helpful because you're up in the sky going down on a whale, um, you know, and, and, and getting right in close and stuff. So, yeah, maybe something. I think I've actually, list. I think I've actually bought the wrong one. You've actually nailed it. Now that I jump on the uh, DJI website, David was saying that the third telephoto lens on that DJI Mavic Pro is rubbish. She never uses it. Yeah. So what what they did is they released a Mavic Air three. Yeah, that's the one. Which has the two best ones, mm. forty six minute flight time, and so it has a wide angle plus a medium telephoto on it, 
And, uh, well, lucky Amazon takes re returns within 30 uh, days. We'll be returning this straight away and getting the yeah. other one. You're welcome, Tom. Wow. And it'll be a lighter one because it's an air rather as opposed to the... Yeah, right, okay. There you go. That's the one you're referring to, weren't you? I think so. This so must long be riveting as shoots, to, um, to, to all our listeners. <laughs> so long as it shoots the 40... About. Yeah, 48 dual camera, 48 megapixel photos, superior details. There you go. There you go. On that note, Tom, I think you've got some shopping to do. I've got oh, to go and buy myself go. a GoPro. Well done, Tom. And, I'll um, cancel the order now. <laughs> All right. I guess. Well, we'll great um, to speak to you. you um, I am. I am. I am. Um, you know, heading away shortly, as you know. So I'll be speaking to you from the other side of the world when we chat next. We are getting back to the Faroe Islands and running a. A workshop there we had such an amazing time back in may 2018 and the next time we wanted to go COVID happened so we've waited a very long time for this workshop so cannot wait to get back there and um and bring you all of the uh fun and frivolity from such a magical and incredible part of the world so well, maybe we'll try and catch up on the podcast whilst you're over there that would be magnificent thanks matt all right you take care bye bye Thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Putt, both of whom are working photographers running workshops all over Australia and, of course, the world. Join us on one of our workshops, and in the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast to make sure you stay up to date.